0: Hi, my name is Kirk Hamilton, your host of Staying Healthy Today. Today's show topic is Preventing and Reversing Heart Disease with a Vegan Diet, A Busy Cardiac Surgeon's View. Our guest today is Dr. Mark Katz, Chief Medical Officer at Bon Secours Heart and Vascular Institute in Richmond, Virginia, and a specialist in robotic heart surgery. Dr. Katz does surgery for congestive heart failure and also placement of ventricular assist devices. So welcome, Dr. Katz. Thanks for being on the show today. Thanks for having me. So... What got you interested in being specifically a cardiac surgeon?
1: Um, I always had a, an interested, interest in uh, the heart and as a medical student did a rotation in cardiac surgery and just thought that what they were doing was really cool. <laughs> and um, I still think that and I'm lucky to do something I really enjoy. So was it, was it cool because... You saved lives, or was it
0: cool because of the high technology or a little combination of both? So uh,
1: I like the anatomy and physiology involved. Right. I like working with my hands. I like the technology that's involved, and I like the immediate feedback in uh, seeing the results of your work in helping patients.
0: Are most of your surgeries that you do due to, let's say, vascular disease, or is it due more to structural defects?
1: So right now, I'm... Probably about half and half, although in general, cardiac surgery is, is much more uh, coronary disease-related.
0: And is that that's about half your practice, doing bypass-type surgeries? Correct. Well, the big question is, why do you think we have so much heart disease in the United States and then every industrialized country seems to follow?
1: Right. So th- there's no question that it's diet-related. Um, It's interesting that the CDC has a series of maps on their website which show that beginning in 1985 in the U.S., there were only seven states that had up to 14% of their population classified as obese. And today, there's only one state in the entire country that has less than 20% of its population obese, and that's Colorado. Um, So we're clearly getting fatter and eating worse.
0: And what are some of the things, I mean, obviously, besides excess calories, but what do you think are the big four or five problems with our diet? Too
1: much fat, clearly. Eating the wrong things. Too much refined food. Not enough fiber. Uh, not enough plant-based proteins. Not enough whole foods. Those are the biggest issues overall, I would say. Now, we're getting fatter,
0: obviously, though it it said that obesity had leveled off a little bit in, um, in the last uh, few years, but... My other question was, sometimes I did a talk on uh, cardiovascular disease, and it shows some of the trends going down. It gives the impression on the graphs that that we're actually uh,
1: doing better with coronary artery disease. There has been progress. There's no question about it. But as a society, overall, we've got such a long way to go. When you look at it, of cardiovascular diseases, estimates I've seen of it over 80% are preventable, merely by dietary changes. <laughs>
0: You always hear the story of, I guess it was the Korean soldiers, young Korean soldiers, right. and, you know, they're there and, and you cut them open and they have plaque. Do you see that, uh, do you ever do, real young people, that you see that atherosclerosis starting? And I guess my question is, when do you see atherosclerosis starting?
1: Yeah, the study you're referring to was an autopsy study during the Korean War. And these were, you know, 19, 20, 21-year-old, 20 you know, otherwise healthy soldiers that had autopsies and they had the development of plaque. Um, it, uh, there, w- there was early on in my career, I did uh, pediatric surgery. So obviously, it's not the very young children, but certainly in adolescent years, you can start seeing atherosclerotic changes.
0: You're a physician who obviously makes a living doing very high technology procedures. What got you interested in a kind of prevention aspect or how much of your practice do you apply prevention because you're spending so much of your work on the end part. You know, people have the disease.
1: For most of my career, I looked at at coronary artery disease as a terminal disease like cancer. We can do some things to slow it down, but eventually all the patients, I thought, were going to die from it. And I began seeing more and more research showing that not only was coronary disease preventable, but in many cases reversible people like, you know, Dr. Caldwell Esselstyn. And he um, was at a meeting and speaking, and I happened to see his talk, and he really opened my eyes at that point. And and so, you know, I started investigating that more and doing more research on various others who were promoting and had done studies similar to his, and he wasn't alone. And there were multiple instances and a building body of evidence that coronary disease again is not only preventable but reversible and this was huge to me. Tell me the key
0: factors when you listen to Dr. Caldwell Esselstyn I mean I know he's a, is a strict you know vegan no fatter vegan you know for right. food group or vegan which means no nuts or seeds you got to kind of define it so right. what is it that really stuck out in in his talk or work? About yeah, so the work
1: that he did, he showed a number of patients who had had basically end-stage heart disease, had had angina for years, many of whom had procedures like a stents or bypass surgery, and then developed angina again, recurrent symptoms, recurrent disease, and put them on this you know, low-fat, plant-based, whole-food diet. And many of them, they showed reversal of the disease. And the thing that really struck me are these pictures, these angiograms, pictures, x-ray pictures that are taken of the coronary arteries, the arteries to the heart, and patients who had had severe disease there previously and then after being on, on this diet. And most of these were done years later, two or three years later, if some patients had symptoms that may have been thought to be referable. But they had these tests done and they showed that, boom, that disease was gone. And honestly, in my previous way of thinking, I thought that was impossible. Now, so then, in your opinion, or or
0: what factually causes the atherosclerosis? You know, some people argue, well, cholesterol. Some people now inflammation is the key buzzword. Um, how do you describe what causes damage to the artery?
1: I think both of the things that you brought up. You know, typically. The biggest issue is inflammation of the endothelium. The endothelium is the a layer of cells that line the inside of vessels. Um, animal protein and fats have been shown to be very inflammatory in those areas. You know, there, there was an interesting study that was done uh, around World War II. Um, the Nazis occupied Norway, and in the farming communities, took away all the livestock from the population there. And if you look at the population statistics during the time when Norway was occupied, the number of deaths from heart attacks and strokes plummeted. The war ended; these people got their livestock back, and the number of deaths from heart attack and stroke went back up to their baselines.
0: Well, you know that's the story that William Costelli told me when he was. Um uh, I can't remember if he was a first or second year medical student, but he was studying with a pathologist in Belgium. And that's the exact same story that the uh, the pathologist said. He said, uh, you know, here, Mr. Young Costelli, come over here and I'll show you the atherosclerosis. he said, it's coming back. <laughs> and he was I talking mean. about the atherosclerosis coming back. And I guess the Germans came, took all the livestock, and then, you know, they starved, but they got rid of their atherosclerosis. So that's interesting because uh, I remember sitting there listening to William
1: Costelli tell me that on my interview with him. Also, I mean, there are also studies where if you look at uh, population statistics of various countries around the world and the relationship between the percentage of calories from um, unrefined plant foods. So the higher your the percentage of your calories from unrefined plant foods, the lower the rate of deaths from heart disease and cancer, in fact.
0: So here's the, the two really kind of hot, sometimes debated topics, and it's like fat. So... You know, he's a pretty strict no fatter, Dr. Caldwell Esseltein, or very low fat. And then we have the omega 3 fats, fish oil, etc. So, are, are you someone who says, you know, no added fats whatsoever if you're really trying to reverse a disease?
1: Yes. Okay. And Except for flaxseed, ground flaxseed meal. And that's very, very high in omega 3s. The uh, relationship. Of the omega threes, so omega six is very, very heavily weighted towards the omega threes.
0: True, but the um, that's alpha linolenic acid, and it doesn't necessarily get converted very well into supposedly the the more protective ones. And maybe I'm wrong, EPA and DHA in humans. I mean, theoretically that happens. But I, I is there something in flaxseed in of itself just alpha linolenic acid that will will be a benefit?
1: Well, I mean, just the fiber part of it is significant, and I recommend it to my patients all the time. So
0: in your heart patients, Mm -hmm. um, they're coming to see you, and you're going to do the best technology you can and do great surgery. Um, How much
1: nutrition education do you give them? I, I speak to all of them, both before and after surgery know, um, again, given the evidence that much of this could potentially be halted or reversed, I always talk to patients about it before surgery even. say, look, if you're willing to commit to this and you've got stable symptoms, it might be something that they would want to try before they even embarked on surgery. And we put our patients on this low-fat, plant, whole-food, plant-based diet postoperatively while in the hospital, and I recommend it to all of them afterwards. Now, the number that actually go ahead and, and take it on full force, I suspect it's relatively small. So how does the hospital react
0: to you saying, um, well, it's a fairly strict diet, so you had to kind of convince the hospital uh, cooking staff to do that, or how hard was that?
1: Well, we, we do it specifically
0: for our patients, for the cardiac surgery patients. And they do it pretty well? They, they, t- they yep. do what you tell them? <laughs>
1: they do.
0: So They're pretty good about it. That's good. So let's say that you had perfect clients. So let's say you get um, 20 people with severe um, coronary artery disease that, that would be done, uh, bypass would be done by your colleagues. And all 20 of those people say, I will do absolutely to the 110th degree what caldwell and you tell me to do, that type right. of diet. How many would you think, I, I know it's hard because everybody's got individual problems, right. but how many do you think could really avoid the surgery out of that 20?
1: So, I, and again, some of it it depends on the anatomy, right? right. So somebody who's got unstable symptoms or, or impending issues, we talk about it as something for them to do afterward, but they need to get out of trouble in the first place. Um, those that are in a more stable situation, um, you know, percentage-wise, it's hard to say. I don't know of a study that was randomized right. or um, was bulletproof, so to speak, as far as, as those... Uh, parameters are concerned so you know i'd have to guesstimate that something around 40 or 50 percent could potentially do that and Mm -hmm. the others even if they just halted the disease and didn't necessarily reverse it would be a huge a huge advantage how about the the outcome
0: for the surgery that you do on them if they improve their blood flow wouldn't they do better absolutely
1: It'll it'll reverse their hypertension in many patients. In many patients, the, the diabetes goes away as they lose weight. We're talking to uh, Dr. Mark Katz, Chief
0: Medical Officer at Bon Secours Heart and Vascular Institute in Richmond, Virginia, and a specialist in robotic heart surgery, but also has um, kind of changed his view and also his own lifestyle on and, and recommending to his patients who have heart disease, a, a vegan-type diet, and he's done it himself. So tell me about your personal conversion. When did you change and how about, sharing what you eat for breakfast, lunch, and dinner?
1: <laughs> right. So I, I changed three years ago after meeting Dr. Esselstyn and speaking to him, and I had gained some weight, and my cholesterol was up, and I was a very bad example for my patients. Um, and I lost 35 pounds over a f- very few months and cut my cholesterol by a third with no drugs. So, again, great results. So what do I eat? So for breakfast on a routine basis, I'll have some chai made with, Non-fat soy milk and uh, a whole-grain English muffin made with hummus that my wife makes. That's non-fat hummus. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and usually, you know, a piece of fruit, an apple or a banana. Uh, for lunch, most of the time, I have a salad. Uh, and then for dinner, again, I'm lucky enough to have a wife who is a great cook and is into this, and we have a variety of different things that she'll make on a routine basis, a variety of different vegetable dishes, grains, quinoa. Um, Would you say you're more,
0: if you partitioned it up, um, vegetable-oriented or or pretty grain-based oriented?
1: Probably 50-50, I'd guess.
0: And uh, little nuts and seeds in your diet or no nuts or seeds?
1: Um, rare. Rarely. rarely. I do occasionally have cravings for things like that, and that, um, we'll do things like chestnuts or walnuts, some of the ones that are, are lower fat.
0: So, so I, I, my guess, I know the answer to this, but there's not a lot of extra virgin olive oil from, uh, Icaria or something in Greece. Okay. I uh, I don't use any. <laughs> <laughs> all right, that's a planted question there. Um, all right. So, let's talk about for a second here what you actually brought up an interesting point that that i really feel strongly about i i always i give a lot of talks about just basic nutrition and one of my pet peeves is um you know they there's these wonderful vegetable platters and right smack in the middle of them is this um ranch creamy gooey stuff you know and i thought you know if we could just and and i and when you said hummus and a non-oil based hummus that's what i teach people to do. I'd get a can of organic beans, throw it in the food processor, throw in a clove of garlic and any herbs and spices you want. And if we stuck that in the middle of those and somebody mass produced those, we could maybe trick a few people into eating vegetables and having something decently to snack on besides that creamy ranch stuff. Absolutely. Okay. Well, you obviously make your living. So here's my other question. If we did our job right, primary care people or Whoever prevention-minded or whatever are health educators, and our country adopted this type of dietary regimen. There would be a lot of cardiac surgeons who would be looking for work elsewhere. Correct? Absolutely. And it would kind of turn the model upside down. Um, Absolutely. You know, for a lot of surgeries, not just cardiovascular disease. So, we have a a healthcare crisis, and the debate about healthcare reform is always about how to maybe save money and try and cover as many people as you can. And to me that's a flawed scheme because the incentive is still all the incentive in our medical model is to let disease happen then treat it after the fact. And,
1: right. And that's what we're missing in this whole thing. Is that here we've come through this all this healthcare reform and we missed the whole point.
0: Right. And and so one of my I love showing President Clinton because to me the other thing is I think sometimes people rely on health insurance as some kind of, I don't know, cure-all. But, you know, President Clinton, and see if you agree with me, and if you don't, then that's fine, and, and tell me your point of view. But I think President, I'm thrilled President Clinton got heart disease. And I have a little article I wrote that I said that. I am absolutely thrilled, because he had the best, some of the best medical care, you'd probably agree in the planet, and the best insurance, and he still got the disease. And then he had the procedures, you know, the bypass in 2004, and the stents in 2007, and he still got the disease. And so the question that really intrigues me about him is he, he actually got exposed to Dean Ornish, I guess by his dear wife and didn't pay attention. And then Chelsea gets, is going to get married and he has a want to lose weight for the wedding and then be around for the grandchildren. And I've showed this video all the time on my talks. So here you have a gentleman that spent, I don't know how much all that care cost over those years, million dollars, whatever it was, half a million. Um, and then he Reads two takes the contents out of two twenty dollars books or seventeen dollar books, and he changes his life. I mean, to me that's that's healthcare reform at its best. And you know, I always wish that he you know, he could he's in a position or we all could um encourage that type of thought. So I always bring that up. I kind of did a diatribe there, <laughs>
1: but no, no he's he's been a great spokesman. I mean, I think here's someone that really even after having gone through open-heart surgery, didn't quite still make the changes he needed in his life. And that's one of the biggest issues is what does it take to motivate people? I agree. I always thought that, you know, splitting someone's breastbone and going through this huge operation would be all that it took and everyone would, would do exactly what you told them to. And they do that while they're in the hospital, but once they go home and they're, subject to the usual uh, stresses and advertising and inform- or, you know well-meaning but poorly informed information from friends and whatnot, they fall off the wagon. So, you know, for President Clinton, it was his daughter getting married that finally just flipped the switch in him. And to me, that's the key is what can we do to find how to motivate people to do this? Because well, it's very rational. The data's there. How many things in life do you get the opportunity to have a do-over for
0: yeah, and especially one that can save your life and a few other things. You know, I, I I come to the same conclusion at the end of my talks, and I actually throw it out to who are there. You know, how do you get incentivized to keep people well? Because the model, again, is structured so everybody gets paid. My daughter's an ICU nurse, a cardiac ICU nurse. I mean, they get paid when sickness occurs. You know, it's, it's a backwards model. And so... I don't know, I'm almost, you know, Dean Ornish just says reward system and I almost think, you know, we're all tight in our pocketbooks right now because money's tight and um, what would happen if we didn't pay for heart disease care, reimburse it insurance wise and said you had to go on this kind of diet first or something like that? I mean, I know it's radical, but I don't see it changing if insurance is there and people just kind of keep getting it paid for.
1: Um, certainly that's you know, one potential thing, but uh, I think actually uh, that's, in my experience, not really what it takes to motivate people. Um, it's interesting. There's a, um, a social scientist at Stanford. His name is B.J. Fogg. And a lot of what he works on is mo- in motivation and how do you change people's behavior. And he has a talk that he does about, you know, floss one tooth. Mm-hmm. So, if you want people who don't floss to learn to floss, don't make it an overwhelming thing. Like, don't say, "Okay, you have to go on this low-fat vegan diet. You can't eat anything that you're used to eating." Start small. So, in his in in Dr. Fogg's talk, he says, "Okay, you, you need to you need to floss." That's lots of data that says it's good for you. All I want you to do tonight, you just floss one tooth. See if you can do that every day. And you make it, make the hurdle very small. And once you, people start doing it, they say, okay, well, you know, I've done this for three or four days in a row now. You know, I can keep doing this habit or expand that habit. And, and I'm trying to take that approach uh, in introducing people to diet as well. Say, okay, look, get rid of one, you know, there's one thing in your diet that you eat all the time that you know is bad. Try and get rid of that and replace it with, you know, Carrots and hummus, or something along those lines, as a snack, and get that out. Of, get that out of the way, and just you know, see if you can do that for five days. You know, and then people can just build on that, taking, making the goals easily, more easily obtainable, not so monumental, and building on success.
0: You know, I see the logic in that. Um, you got a patient that's uh, got bad heart disease. You know, how long can they take? You know, well,
1: you're right. I mean, the, ideally, it ought to have happened yesterday. Right. But in reality, look at all the people who we recommend these things to, people who know what, what they should be doing but don't do it. So, again, what's the motivating
0: factor? In closing here, if you're the health czar, and I said that um, people would do exactly you know, four or five things that you would say, you could make policy,
1: uh, got any ideas what you would do? Yeah. Number one, whole foods, plant-based diet. Okay. Uh number 2 regular exercise. Uh, number 3 would be uh, a good preventive health care regimen, not not just showing up in emergency rooms when they're sick. Mm-hmm. Any any other ones? Outside of world peace? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well,
0: there'd be a lot of money shifted around if we prevent a disease. But, you know, I, I, there's an article I have on China, and there are 8 out of 10 deaths are chronic diseases there, and they have an epidemic of heart disease as well, and and, and they're, they're, their economy is threatened because their workforce is getting these diseases at alarming rates. are um, becoming
1: westernized, though. Yeah, very All much right. so.
0: All right, well, I think that's about it, Dr. Katz. You got anything else you want to throw on the, the pile there of prevention and, and heart disease and vegan diets? No,
1: I, I think we covered the just of it. Thanks for having me.
0: Okay. Thanks so much for taking time, I know, out of your busy day to uh, come talk to us. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Have a good day. And I want to thank you, the audience, for listening to this edition of Staying Healthy Today, Roman. Until next time, stay and be well.